0: tunes, private eye jazz, groovy bossa Nova, and other incredibly strange music.
1: I'm Daryl Brogdon. Join us for a Hi-Fi Highball, the Retro Cocktail Hour. Wednesday night at 8. Every week on WJFF Radio Catskill. Support for WJFF comes from Two Queens, offering coffee, tea, and bees. Located in Pete's Plaza, Narrowsburg, New York. TwoQueensCoffee.com and from listener donations at wjffradio.org support for radio catskill comes from the calicoon theater an updated vintage movie theater with new releases film festivals nostalgic screenings live music events and more information and schedule at the dot good morning welcome
2: to catskill character you know scenes how tomorrow is father's day I guess it wouldn't be unexpected for me to do a show devoted to fathers. I'm sure you've all heard lots of wonderful father-son stories, but I wanted to do something different. Then, my guest, Randy Harris, dropped into my life via my good friend, Rosie Starr. To say that Randy is multi-talented is an understatement. He's a photographer, a woodworker, a musician, a teller of stories, and so much more. He and his wife, Lori Zambarano, have taken the beautiful Victorian house next to the Milanville General Store, and they are retooling it themselves. He knows how to take things apart and put them back together. But Randy and I are also going to be looking at parenting skills as they applied to Randy raising his dog from a very small pup. We often anthropomorphize the animals we live with. But what if your animal is wild? What if your animal is a coy dog? Randy, I am so happy to have you on the show today.
0: Thank you for... Inviting me on the show, I look forward to talking to you about my dog.
2: Well, I know you grew up in Lemonster in Massachusetts, and you are a photographer, a woodworker, a musician, as I mentioned in the introduction. And you were also a bouncer at that famous club in New York City, The Limelight. (laughs) You lived in the city for a long time before coming to live here in the Catskills. So I thought we could talk today a bit about your career or i should probably say the careers in your life and the lives you've lived around them let's start with photography your dad i believe gave you your first camera
0: yes he did it was a german rangefinder it wasn't a leica 35 millimeter point and shoot so it didn't have like through the uh, through the lens focusing
2: when you first started taking pictures, was it love at first
0: shoot? Oh, my God. I remember when I was in college, my mom literally waited up for me one night and thought I was had another girlfriend because I was coming home so late. And I had to tell her that I had worked out a little deal with the photo manager at the college that I could stay later in the darkroom and just print and process film. It was totally love at first sight yes
2: yeah you were addicted i would say that's a good addiction (laughs) it's really funny randy you you seem so modest about your photography career but i did go to your website and i looked you up online and you've shot for the new york times vanity fair and the like you've traveled all over the world And I got to tell you, your pictures of seafood made me want to rush out and get some oysters pronto.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, thank you. Um, I like to, I shoot for Bon Appetit, Conde Nast Traveler, all, oh, my God, ESPN, all kinds of magazines. I've kind of started in the beginning with fashion and then got into portraits. And the New York Times at one point called me to do a, a shoot, and that was, they kind of put me in the right direction, I think.
2: Yes, I love your portraits. I think people can look at pictures of yours and say, oh yeah, that's a Randy Harris. Do you know what I mean?
0: I think so. They're very in the moment, and I like to catch people off guard. Uh, Sometimes you have to pose them and have something in the works that you're going to do with the photo editor or the art director. And usually I just work off that to get them comfortable and not to have them think about there's a camera. Because on my end, I always hated that. Um, If someone took a picture of me, I was very self-conscious of that camera. So I try to take that away if I can.
2: That's really good because a lot of people just do not want to have their pictures taken. And it doesn't matter if they're famous or not. They they feel that self-consciousness that you're talking about. What is the most remote place you've ever done a shoot?
0: I would say Alaska. I went there to document the gill netting of the salmon and got to stay with a family for two weeks, right on the beach in a dilapidated trailer that was basically kind of held together with duct tape. We, we'd go out in boats every morning and pluck, they call it plucking the salmon from the gill nets that float in the water uh, in Cook Inlet. It was quite something. And I shot all of that with a film camera, an old Pentec 67 workhorse that I had. When we were on the boat, which was kind of funny, we were taking the salmon off and I had a fresh one that was still alive. And I said to them, Do you wanna just want me to just slice this open? We can just take pieces of it and eat it, ceviche style. And they literally were like, What's that? Well, we don't eat salmon raw. And I was like, Really? <laughs> I was like, Well, more for me. So I just started slight, you know, filleting them on, on a piece of it was just a piece of wood right on the boat and cutting it up and eating it. And I gave a couple pieces to the young fishermen and they literally turned their noses up to it and said, oh, I, we don't eat this raw. <laughs> they tried it, but they didn't really like it. Yes. Mm. Or that's, no, I can say. <laughs> that's
2: funny. You also have another website with your wife, Lori, uh, which is a work in progress, you told me, com. I'd love for you to tell the listener about that.
0: Woodworking has always been a passion of mine, and my dad had taught me all those like woodworking skills. So I like to do mi- very minimal industrial tables, benches, and cooking utensils. And I got the idea of cooking utensils before when I was in Berlin on a travel story. And I saw this beautiful modern plastic spatula. I used to be a tool and die maker, a mold maker with my dad. So I said, oh, I'd like to make that out of wood, make it look like it's been molded right out of wood. And so that's what I do as well. And they've been in Bon Appetit magazine. Um, they're, They're very minimal, very modern and thin And I use the the grain of the wood to keep them from breaking.
2: And I'm so happy that you took something that was plastic and used wood. So
0: much better. We buy so much landfill. Yeah. Just use wood, and it works better, and it won't melt. And it's pan safe for any kind of you know nonstick or whatever. And it's just wood. And I have specials that are over 12 years old. Where do you get the wood? Locally sourced, I try to get black walnut, oak, cherry, applewood's really good, anything that's a very tight grain. So it makes it very strong.
2: Well, I'd like to talk about music. I know you started playing, um, I guess it was the drums when you were little, but uh, we don't have that much time. So I wanted to find out how and why you came to the Catskills.
0: I came to the Catskills just to get out of the city. I lived in the East Village for a very long time. I love the city and the nightlife especially, but a friend invited me to go fishing on the Neversink River in the Delaware River, and I just loved it. Again, another addiction that I was just like, oh, my goodness.
2: So when you first came to the Catskills, where did you go?
0: I went to a hamlet. was called Westbrookville. There was a mountain called Skinner Mountain on, off of Skinner Road, and by the Pinekill River, or Pinekill Creek. And I found an old farm that was on top of the mountain, and it had an old trailhead that led into the Neversink River, and that's where I went and acquired that for, I think, two years. I always wanted to live like Thoreau. That's always been a dream, so I figured, what the hell? You know, you're young, you should experience it while you can. So that's what I did.
2: Wow, that's such a contrast, living like Thoreau and being a photographer and traveling all over the world and meeting all kinds of people. So it it kind of speaks to the different aspects of who you are.
0: Yes, it does. I'm a true Gemini. When I moved, I still was shooting film, so I had to go into the city all the time and I would literally process my contact sheets. I would do all my own prints for any publishing, you know, any magazine. So I would always had to go back and forth. Sometimes almost every day it's what you have to do when you have something that you love and a passion, you have to just be in it to win it. I just had to do that. You know, there's a lot of advertising on everything when you're in the city. And so I needed to get away from that.
2: You certainly found the best place to be. And, you know, there's so much to your life. We're we're never going to fit it all in. But let's just take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about your dog.
0: Okay. Thank you.
2: You've been listening to Catskill Character. I'm your host, Donna Fellenberg. And my guest today is Milanville, Pennsylvania resident, Randy Harris. We'll be right back.
0: This week in This American Life, a man is recruited by government intelligence. His job? To test the security of banks by trying to rob them. And his handler tells him, Do not
2: stay in a bank for longer than five minutes. And if you get arrested, stay silent. We'll have you out within 24 hours. So, he gets arrested. What could possibly go wrong this week?
1: Saturday afternoon at 4. Welcome
2: back to Catskill Character. I'm Donna Fellenberg, and if you've just joined us, my guest today is Milanville, Pennsylvania, photographer, woodworker, musician, world traveler, Randy Harris. In the first half of the show, Randy shared with us a bit about his history, his life as a photographer, and how he came to be a wonderfully colorful character of the Catskills. In the second half of the show, since tomorrow is Father's Day, Brandy and I are going to be talking about his parenting slash partnership with his dog. Here we go. Brandy, you told us about coming to the Catskills and your time living on Skinner Mountain. I think it was like 350 acres, and you were inspired by Thoreau, but you also had company. Let's talk about that.
0: Yes. The second day I moved from the city to on top of this mountain, I felt like I needed to get a dog. I've always wanted to have a dog my whole life. I could never have a dog growing up, and I didn't want to have a dog in the city, of course. So when I was out in the middle of nowhere, I thought, this is the best opportunity. And so that's how I met Marshall.
2: And you did something that I think is really good. You went to an animal shelter. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about the Rock Hill Animal Shelter and how they go about letting their dogs go?
0: Sure. When I went there, I saw this rather large fuzzy puppy that was all covered in burrs, and he was very chubby. And he was in this small cage like he was just crammed in there, and he was very sad, and he looked down the whole time. He didn't look around, and they were showing me a lot of different dogs, not this particular one, so I finally asked if he was available, and they started by letting me, by holding him, and um, I didn't want a dog that would like barked a lot or was a nuisance or bit anybody, so when I was holding him, he was very, very passive. I think that's how it happened, and then I asked them if I could have him, and they said yes, but I had to sign a waiver because he was a feral pup which I didn't understand what that was.
2: And what is a feral pup?
0: When they got that dog, they said a, a, a hunter came in with him and he confessed that he shot and killed a, a large dog that was chasing a deer and it was up by the Canadian border. And then he realized that it had a puppy. And so he, he felt bad and he, guilty, I think, and he brought the puppy down and brought him to that shelter and that's when I kind of got him. And basically, a dog like that is a, considered a—it's a, like a coy dog. It could be part coyote or whatever, and or other wild dog that's been out in the woods all you know all their life. So I had to sign a waiver for one year, and they had to monitor him with a vet, Doctor Roder in Otisville, to yeah, to see if he would. You know, turn wild, but he never did. He was Mm a beautiful dog.
2: Of course, they had named him Bear, because I guess he looked like a little bear cub. But you renamed him Marshall. How would you come up with that name?
0: With two L's. He was about probably maybe a half a year old, and I was gone on an assignment. And because he was feral, the vet said he can probably take care of himself pretty well outside if you go away for a couple days He had a place he could go in into a little shed and I put a log in between the door of the shed and the outside world for him. And that was they basically said, get a log that's the size of his body, the diameter of his stomach and wedge it in the door and tie it so he can go in and out. And so no other animals like a coyote can get him. So I did that, and when I came back a couple days later, he was very proudly sitting on the big bluestone steps of the farmhouse, waiting for me to come home. It was in the winter time as well, and he was very proud. He stuck his chest out, Hmm. and when I came home, like, look at me! I took, you know, I watched, took care of the area for you while (laughs) you were gone. That's what I kind of got from him, because he was so proud of himself for taking care of everything, so I ended up calling a Marshal, Marshal wow. of the land, you know, like he he very much protected and looked after the area.
2: I get it. Yeah, definitely. I know you told me that one time you when you came back, because you had to go back and forth, you had to work, you came back and he was eating the remains of a fawn, which, uh, <laughs> you know, we all love the little fawns, but you know he was as you say he was a wild dog probably a coy dog part coyote and uh that's how he fed himself I, when you told me that i was wondering did you ever feed him dog food
0: when i spoke with the vet she said just give him dry dog food like perina dog chow or perina Puppy chow, nothing fancy that would spoil them. And she said that he may not eat it all the time, and he didn't. She was telling me that he may not eat for days. It goes with a cycle of being like a wild dog, and he totally would do that. He wouldn't eat for like a week, and then all of a sudden, you'd find this nice fresh fawn in the yard, and he, you know, he loved it. And it a little, it surprised me a little bit, and. Oh, I had to, I would call the vet and tell him what he was doing. He's like, he did it again. He got another one. And um she would tell me, the vet would say, as long as he doesn't eat the spinal column or the cranium to go and check. And so I did. And I was like, no, he, he likes the rear quarters. And she said, that's what he'll do. And he would just, he'd eat the bones and everything to a lot of it. And Which again, alarmed me, but she said he'll be able to process that because he being a feral dog. So he would do that a lot. And and it was interesting to watch him do it and how he would do it because he would run along the side of the small deer and then kind of pull away and let the deer kind of do its thing. And then he kind of come back and ambush it. And but as he got older, I didn't want him to keep doing that, you know, and um. So he stopped for the most part, but he could get rabbits like that, Uh, squirrels. He loved squirrels, especially when I would go into Brooklyn um, because I lived some of the time and my girlfriend at the time lived in Brooklyn and he loved to go to the parks and get the big fat squirrels and eat them, (laughs) which was kind of alarming because sometimes people would grab them and I had my number on his collar and they would call me. Telling me that they called the ranger and that they were federally protected animals of the park, and there was one time when the ranger had to come it was a woman, and she would not give me back my dog. she had his her hand on his collar, and she was with some friends, and she would not give me the dog back till the ranger got there and the ranger when she it was a young woman um she came and she was very upset that she hadn't she said you you got to let that dog go right now." And that, you know, it's just a squirrel. And Marshall was so amused, sitting there, eating the squirrel like it was a candy bar and listening.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, you did take him with you, uh, obviously. You took him to New York. And he's not the kind of dog. He wasn't the kind of dog that you put on a leash. And that was part of your understanding of him, that he was wild and you had to kind of let him go.
0: Yeah. When right from the beginning, when I got him to that was the deal because it was on 350 acres. They thought it would be a prime location for a dog like him to run around and run free. And I said, yes, I, you know, growing up, um, I never liked being I would never like being on a leash or told what to do in school or whatever, and I said, you're not, good. you know, I don't want to keep you on a leash. You're not mine. I don't own you. You're mm-hmm. your own person. You can come and go as you please. You can be great buds. He would always, always run ahead of me, always out of sight. <laughs> and, I always uh-huh. and he would come back, but he would only come back just so he could see me and I could see him and be like, there you are. And then he'd take off again and he would do it all the time. And then sometimes I would get to call him and he, I would find him peeking in on me when we were in the woods to see if I was okay. (laughs) It was really quite something.
2: You know, you really had a, a double whammy because your, your dad got sick and you went up to Massachusetts and you brought Marshall with you, but something was happening to Marshall at the same time.
0: Yeah. My dad was very sick and he was dying and he was in intensive care unit. So I had to race home and something clicked in my head saying, you have to take a suit with you in case he dies. But I was looking at my dog and he was acting funny and. I said to him, are you going to die? It just kind of hit me Mm because he was just acting a little strange. And so when I went home and I uh, would take him for a walk on an old road that I grew up on and hiked in to Lemmister State Forest. And I always would take him there. And I learned how to ride a motorcycle on that road. My dad taught me how to drive a pickup truck on that road. So there's a lot of fond memories on this road and I would take him all the time. And this time he couldn't walk. He got out of the truck and he literally could not walk. And it really alarmed me. And so I called my vet right away and she said to bring him in. And um, it may be anaplasma because it was something that he had tested slightly positive for his whole life because he had Lyme's when he was a, a young boy.
2: So you, you put him back in the truck and you, you were racing home to try to get to Dr.
0: And So, yeah, when I was taking him back, there was quite a drive. It was like around three and a half, four hour drive. And the reason being I had to take him there was because anytime I did take him to the vet at Dr. Rotor's, I, I was always with him. There was a time when he had to be put under because he had a hot spot and they really couldn't put him under. I don't know why they tried twice. So she said, you just got to stay with him. She literally said he doesn't want to leave you. And so anytime there was a problem, I could just go into the emergency room with him and stay with him. Mm-hmm. So she said, because of that, if I took him to like another vet close by in say Lemonster, he would probably freak out. And that. You could kill him. I said, okay, I'll take him to you. And I knew it was going to be a drive. But as we were driving back, he was in the back seat. And we both knew he wasn't going to make it. And he kept looking at me. And I was looking at him in the rearview mirror. And then he had a very puzzled face. He had a lot of expressions for a dog. I think he got him probably from me. Uh, <laughs> well, we got him <laughs> from each other. I'm the same way but he gave me this look which was very funny it wasn't at the time but he literally gave me this grimace look like what the hell's going on and he yipped and he would always yip like a coyote this piercing yip very high pitched and he yipped twice to tell me that's it and I kind of knew it and then he tried to walk from the back seat to the front I had a bench seat in the front (sighs) And he made it. He just wanted to get close to me and sit in my lap. And the thing that got me is ever since I've had him, I always, the thing I missed the most is morning coffees with him. I'd sit outside on the porch. Both of us didn't have a leash on and we just sit down and I drink a coffee. He would always sit right next to me and lean into me real hard, Mm. always really hard to be like, I'm right with you, Randy. And he would sit and wait till I was done my coffee before he'd even go to go to the bathroom. He just wanted to sit with me really close and tight. And it's like, that's what he did. He wanted to do it one last time. And he, he managed to get in the front seat with me. He leaned really hard into me and he looked up at me and his pupils were dilated. They were all black and I knew that was it, and he looked at me, and he exhaled and died. I almost went off the road, literally.
2: Oh, I can't, I just, I can't imagine what an incredible relationship the two of you had. And I, I just want to thank you so much for sharing that with us. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show.
0: Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk about him. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
2: This has been Catskill Character with today's guest, artist Randy Harris. Randy's website for his photography is IamRandyHarris.com. The website for the woodworking project is com. Catskill Character is on every Saturday at 11.30, right after Rosie Starr's Farm and Country. The last Saturday of the month, you'll find Greg Triggs Travels with Triggs in the 11.30 time slot. Please join us then for more fantastic conversations with characters of the Catskills and beyond. I'm Donna Fellenberg. Thanks so much for listening.
1: Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Calicoon Theater, an updated vintage movie theater with new releases, film festivals, nostalgic screenings, live music events, and more. Information and schedule at thecalicoontheater.com. Support for WJFF comes from Two Queens, offering coffee, tea, and bees. Located in Pete's Plaza, Narrowsburg, New York. TwoQueensCoffee.com and from listener donations at wjffradio.org. Radio Catskill's fabulous online auction ends Wednesday. So
2: many generous
1: businesses have donated. Win great items and support Radio Catskill, including voice lessons, drum instruction, personal one-on-one training, and
2: more. Bid now. Go to wjffradio.org.
1: The fabulous online auction ends Wednesday. Bid. Win. Support.
2: Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville. You're listening to Radio Catskill.
1: For 50 years, NPR has brought you perspective on the news, the big picture, the crucial context, Public radio is also a place for perspectives you might not hear anywhere else. Fifty years from now, when people are wondering what happened with the Minneapolis uprisings of 2020, they can literally come back to these boards and learn the entire history just from what's painted here. Listen to NPR and hear every voice. Radio
0: Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania.
2: So many generous businesses and organizations have donated to the fabulous online auction including Bethel Woods Center for the Arts, Rafters Tavern, Sullivan County Dramatic Workshop, Bethel Market Cafe, Bunny Love Flowers, Fat Lady Cafe, Red Rose Motel. Go to wjffradio.org,
1: register and bid now. Support comes from the Homestead School, Montessori Education, preschool through early college, with campuses in Glens Bay and Hurleyville, building the intelligence, creativity, connection, and skills for an ecological future since 1978. Homesteadschool.com From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York, riverreporter.com And from listener donations at wjffradio.org
0: Support for Radio Catskill comes from the NeverSync General Store, featuring an award-winning chef, smoked barbecue year-round, local products, and catering. Now offering takeout. NeverSinkGeneralStore.com.